Welcome to the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. Ellen Airgood grew up on a farm in Michigan's Thumb, where her favorite things to do were read books, ride horses, swing in her tire swing, and write stories. She graduated with a Bachelor of Science from the School of Natural Resources and Environment, and now lives on the shore of Lake Superior in the Upper Peninsula, where she writes and owns a diner along with her husband. She's the author of three novels published by Penguin Books, including Michigan Notable Book and Midwest bestseller, South of Superior, the award-winning Prairie Evers, a Bank Street Best Book for Middle Grade Readers. Her work also appears in The Way North, New Upper Peninsula Writings, Here, Women Writing on Michigan's Upper Peninsula, and the upcoming Bob Seeger's House. So for those of you who don't know me, um, and I think most of you do, my name is Evelyn Gothu, and I'm the director of the Crystal Falls District Community Library. And we have a great partnership with UPA, the Upper Peninsula Publishers and Authors Association. And both of us help sponsor these authors who are speaking to us on these second Thursday evenings of every month. And usually I hand it over here to Victor and he tells us all kinds of exciting news from UPA before we begin talking to Ellen. So what do we have happening there, Victor? Thank you, Evelyn. We just had our spring conference in Marquette. Uh, it was amazing. We had Linda Lagarde Grover yeah. uh, for a speaker. And, and if you've heard her, she's just amazing. We're gonna do a little show and tell here. I love show and tell. <laughs> this book <laughs> is called, uh, We Kept Our Town Going. And it's the story of the Gossard Girls, the oh, sure. uh, undergarment manufacturers of uh, Ishpeming and uh, Gwyn, I believe. And it's, uh, it covers uh, 50 years of, uh, of history. Uh, the author went and did oral histories of all the women who worked in this factory that cranked out as many as a million undergarments a year. Uh, I think it's just fascinating. And just out... Um, yes. Three days ago, we have the sequel, the long-awaited sequel to uh, uh, Katie and the Bear Necklace. This mm -hmm. one is called Katie and the Birch Bark, Birch Bark Box. Mm -hmm. uh, Katie is our 13-year-old uh, uh, Ojibwe girl in a fictional reservation somewhere near Escanaba. And she's uh, given these, these mysteries to solve, which it involves her uh, communicating with her elders and learning more about tribal culture. And it does it in a way that's totally fun. So highly recommend it uh, for parents and kids alike. And the most seasonal book of all, Summers <laughs> at the Lake by uh, John C. Stott. Now his father was also a columnist and he his father would write about their summer vacation. So it, this one kind of spans like 60 years worth of of summers as far back as 1957 and it's it's beautifully illustrated uh with with photos of the the nature of the of the animals and plants of of northern michigan it takes place in a little lake called crooked lake which is somewhere near ishpeming i believe and uh he's he just uh he writes prose but lyrically so it's it's almost like a, a combination of poetry and, and prose and it's very accessible and uh and of course perfect for this time of year we have a mouse tale on Mackinac Island about a mouse family that goes to live on Mackinac Island and and all the adventures that they run through these are uh a pair of uh, first time author uh, first time author and illustrator beautiful overhead shot of the island there um uh, Maggie Chambers, the illustrator, she grew up on Mackinac Island, attended the island schools, and they had a big celebration uh, there with all the kids at the island school. And her, uh, her aunt, Summer Porter, uh, is also involved with Mackinac Island, and, and she wrote the text. Uh, her family owns the Windermere, which is one of the bigger uh, hotels on the island. So just a little bit of uh, summer reading for you folks to think about. Wonderful. Thank you, Victor. Those look like some really nice books. And I can attest, I um, helped Anne as one of her readers for Katie and the, the Birch. <laughs> no, I can't say it. The Katie and the Birch Box. Yes. yes. And uh, this was about a, well, in the fall, I helped her. Yeah, read. yeah. Okay. It was very good. And I mean, I love the first one and I really like this one too. She's She does a good 
for those of you who haven't read her, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know. It, it's really hard to write for that age group. I think for, for she can write like, it's like high school, adult and teens. You can all, and tweens, you can all read it and you can all get just as much out of it. And that's a real skill, I think. So I'm, I'm very proud of her. Well, and of all our authors, which a lot of you are on tonight, which is great. And before I turn it over to Ellen, I have to extend a very special welcome because some members of the Crystal Falls Book Club sidetracked with reading chose to do Tin Camp Road for their June pick. So Janet, if you want to wave and Carolyn and Les, thank you for coming on tonight. They are going to, Ellen, they're going to talk about your book twice this month. That should feel really good. That's dedication. <laughs> That's wonderful. Two evenings at the least they're talking about you. Nice. So, before I um, say anything, before I, you know, just talk forever here. Um, next month, we have got Joanne. She's going to be talking to us about her book on wood burnings. And, oh. and she's going to be doing it from the Crystal Falls Library. So those of you in the area, if you want to come in and be part of the Zoom live here, we would love to have you. And she's going to be bringing in some of her wood burning art. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And um, that's going to be in on, sorry, Thursday, July 14th, right in the middle of the summer. So without any further ado, thank you all for joining. And I would like to welcome Ellen Ergood tonight to talk to us about her book, Tin Camp Road. She says she's very casual. She's hoping we get a lot of cues because she has the A's. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to start first a little bit, Ellen, and then we can kind of open it up to the floor, that'd be great. Perfect. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm really happy to be talking with you guys tonight um, from my home here in Deer Park. So I'm up north of Newberry, about 25 miles, a um, few minutes from Lake Superior, and I'm on, uh, I'm on Muscalunge Lake. So um, I moved to the UP in 1991. I grew up on a little farm downstate, and then I went to U of M in Ann Arbor. And um, I happened to come on a vacation to the UP with my sister, and I'd already loved the UP. I came as a um, junior high kid. My best girlfriend, her family had a camp in Curtis on Round Lake, and I absolutely fell in love with, I just loved it. And I came to the Iron River area as a college student. I went to Camp Filbert Roth on Golden Lake because I was a forestry student at U of M. I was in the natural resources program. And then my sister and I came up camping in Pictured Rocks National um, Lakeshore. And one cold rainy day, instead of hiking or cooking at our campsite, we drove into Grand Marais. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with Grand Marais, but it's a very, very charming town on Lake Superior. And we had lunch in a little cafe there. And um, I ended up marrying the guy that made my sandwich. So <laughs> I've been here, um, I've been here ever since. I really love the UP. And I've had a really good life here. I've had a hard life in some ways and a wonderful life in others. But I, I feel so fortunate to have lived most of my adult life here. And two of the four books that I've um, published with Penguin are set in the UP. Um, my first book was South of Superior. That came out in 2011. And then my fourth book is Tin Camp Road, which is what brought me here to be with you guys tonight. Um, and I wanted to, I just really, in both books, I wanted to convey my love of the UP. It's something I really love to write about. And I'm very curious to try to explore ways to convey what it is that is so special about this place and its people, because I think it's people, um, I have a lot of admiration. I feel that, and I hope I can say we by this point at 30 years that we're a rugged lot, generally a really kindly lot. Um, independent, and I think humble, really, that's something I really admire about a lot of the people that I know here, and a good sense of humor, um, and a different way of looking at the world, maybe, and those are things that felt very important to me to try to capture, so I hope that I've been able to, to some extent, and I hope that I've been able to communicate some things about the UP in both of the books. Um, I wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid. When I, I grew up on the farm and both my parents loved to read and books were everywhere. 
So I loved the outdoors and I still do. I love to read. I like to bake. My mom liked, um, my mom let us play in her kitchen and I've turned out to be a baker as well. My husband and I have run a little restaurant together for the last 30 years. So he made me that sandwich and little did I know I would end up spending a lot of hours over the dish sink. Um, and I grew to really love the work. Um, we sold our diner in April, which was a huge mm. change for us. My husband had some health issues that made us decide it might be time to, to change it up a little bit. So the minute we sold the diner, we started working on a little food trailer. So I have all these different jobs um, and they all kind of wind together and they've all made it possible for me to live here and to pursue that lifelong dream of being a writer that um, it really hit me in the fourth grade, I guess. I had a teacher who gave a lot of creative writing assignments and right as soon as she started doing that, I realized that was it for me. And I realized too, something I hadn't fully, I don't think I'd fully thought about it before, but all those books I liked to read were written by somebody. And the minute I realized they weren't just magical little boxes, but they were magical little boxes that somebody created, I wanted to be, I wanted to be one of those people that created stories. So um, I'm just really happy to be here tonight. And I, I'm not someone super good at talking for a long time about myself unprompted or about writing or about my books, but I am really comfortable with question and answer sessions. And um, so I'd love it if you guys have questions about any different aspects of either the book itself or my experience in the publishing world or just whatever. But I've kind of about reached the end of my first range of what I can ramble on about myself. <laughs> well, I, I want to just start by a, a big compliment because I think um, your book, what I really, the one thing I really, really enjoyed about your book was the setting. I mean, I think you did such an amazing job creating the setting. It's not often that I read a book and I've read a lot. I mean, I was a teacher for 24 years and then I've been the library director here for three years. So I've read a lot of books and not many books. I'm, I, I can smell the house. You know what I mean? Like I'm in there, like I can smell the house. Like I, I can see the bedspread. I can, you know, everything. I, I was like, I was, that's a big compliment. And I don't know how you did it because very few people do it. How, how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> You're very good at setting. Oh, thank you. Well, I think um, I, I feel that I'm a slow writer and um, setting is part of what is so important to me. A sense of place is vital to me in my own life. And it's something that I think is vital to the UP too. I mean, it's such a beautiful place. Um, and I think setting or setting or description is vital to make stories really come alive for people to make them um, as real as can be. So you, I always hope to hook people in more by making everything about the story as tangible as possible. So I rewrite a lot. Um, like I say, I think I'm slow and I really strive to set you in place with these specific details about how something smells or feels under your hand. And I, it's not, it's not that my settings are so, I mean, a lot of this book takes place in a trailer. Um, a lot of it takes place in the woods and those are both good places, but they're not exotic places. So I'm always looking for the unexpected details that might really bring something alive for you. And if I'm sitting, I mean, I don't know if there was bedspread, but if there was, I would probably go touch my own and try to really feel, how would you describe that feeling underneath your hand? So I'm slow and I look for unexpected details to try to convey that sense that you paid me a big compliment. Thank you. No, I, I just really, there's just a handful of books in my life that I've read where I'm, I'm really there and your book, I was really there. Thanks. So that's my, my beginning. I started the discussion who's next who's next <laughs> Ellen do you know how you're going to end your book when you begin it oh that's a really good question um let me think if I even know the answer to that 
I think I have a general sense of how a book is going to end usually when I begin it, but the specifics, I, I definitely don't. Um, and the, the way this book ended, I really debated quite a bit how it would end. And I, in all that rewriting that I do, I usually try out a couple of different endings. And usually my, my writing process, I would say is super messy. Um, and it's scary. And it, it always seems like nothing's ever going to work out that I'm never really going to be able to finish a book and have um, and have it work as a book. And this book, Tin Camp Road, gave me all kinds of trouble. It was not an easy book to write. Um, but I'm trying to think. When I began it, I thought that Laurel loved her daughter so much that it was wonderful, that it was admirable. And there was something I wanted to say to the world about parents who don't have all the financial or physical resources. A lot of them are doing a really great job of creating these beautiful humans because they're encouraging their creativity and their resilience and they're giving them so much love. So even though um, Laurel certainly doesn't live a mainstream life, I saw so much to admire in how, what she was trying to do. And I, I loved the fact that she loved her daughter so much. Um, so, but I also saw that Laurel didn't have a lot of confidence and that her lack of confidence was as big a detriment as her lack of money or a secure job. And that if only she had more confidence, a lot of things would be easier for them. And I saw that as much as she didn't want to ever have to move, she might have to. And she was going to need to know that she was strong enough to do it. So I started the book by seeing that they were in a predicament, she, Laurel and Skye. And I knew because it's just the way I am, I always really like to write hopeful endings. I didn't think it would be, everything would be resolved and everything would be perfect and riding off into the sunset. But I knew that Laurel would grow more, or I hoped that Laurel would grow more confident and that their, her situation would grow more secure. So that was kind of the ending that I was aiming toward. I have a question, this is Sharon. Um, I'd like to um, Oh, this is just a quick one. Um, do you, oh, go ahead. Sharon <laughs> Okay, I just wanted to ask if, if Ellen, if you let your characters take the lead, do you follow what your characters say or how, how, does, that, how does that work? It's kind of a mixture for me. Um, again, I'm gonna harp on how I feel like I'm super slow. And I feel like at the beginning of a book, I'm just kind of hacking away at stuff. And I've got maybe these cardboard characters who I'm poking, they're almost like cutout dolls and I'm poking them into situations and I'm seeing if they come to life. It can take me a long time. I don't know the right word, but a book or the characters can be almost like, um, oh, what's the word for like a stone? Is it an obelisk? I mean, a stone that like has no entry, but you know, there is something there. It can take me what feels like a very terrifying and endless time to find the entryway. And I'll just keep feeling around and I'll keep taking these paper dolls and like banging them together, hoping something will happen. Um, and then usually at some point, something does happen and they became, they become real to me. And at that point, often they start um, contributing a lot to their own stories. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like in the book, my Sky, the 10-year-old the girl is, she just was a joy to work with. She was my favorite character to work with in the book. And she brought, she let a lot of air into this book, which had a certain level of grimness to it um, without her, um, without her contributions. And I, I guess I spend a lot of time, right? I'm sitting on my couch and with this book, I spent about seven years sitting right here um, working on it. And a lot of that time is me trying to get out of the way. And so while I know that I created the characters in some ways by the end, it doesn't feel like I did. It just feels like I spent a lot of time listening. What would she say? What would she do? And sometimes, yeah, they surprise me. Um, so it's a combination. 
Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for asking. Along with uh, um, the with what you just said, um, were your characters based on someone you knew or knew about or had any real connection with? Um, I don't base care for the most part. I never base characters on someone specific, but certainly most of the characters in the UP books, most of them are a lot of them are I write because I want to write about the kinds of people that I've known here. Um, I've known a lot of really brave parents who are battling a lot of tough odds and they're doing so much to raise creative and just, I don't know, just lovely children. Um, so while it wasn't based on anyone specific, it certainly was based on a, an amalgam, I guess you'd say, of people that I've known. Um, the same thing with my first book, South of Superior. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that, but in South of Superior, there's a, um, two elderly sisters who are really at the heart of the book for me and for a lot of my readers of that one. And I wanted, and there's a lot of elderly characters in the book and none of them are based on anyone specific, but they are certainly, I, it was so important to me to convey what I felt was really special and awesome about a lot of the elderly people that I've had the honor of knowing here. So again, they were a combination, I guess, of just the sort of people that I've known here. And when I, wrote South, when I wrote South of Superior, most people were positive that I was writing about Grand Marais. And I was certainly writing about a Grand Marais type place because that's where my husband and I, Grand Marais is 20 miles um, west of where we live. And that's where our restaurant was. So that's where I spent most of my time for the last 30 years. Um, and it was a Grand Marais-like place, but I actually wasn't trying to write Grand Marais, not consciously. In my mind, the town in South of Superior was bigger. Um, it was almost more of a Munising-sized town, not quite as big as Crystal Falls, but um, but people are con were convinced that they knew, like, oh, so-and-so must have been Charlie. You must have based him on Charlie, for example. And I was like, Charlie? I wasn't, I never even gave Charlie a thought while I wrote that book. So people will see what they expect to see, I guess. And sometimes that was upsetting to me, but now it, I'm more used to it. I guess it doesn't bother me so much as it did. I have a, que a question about the South of Superior. Um, did Madeline ever spend the $5 that she would get from her uncle? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I don't know if I know the answer to it. You know, after I'm done with the book, I feel like the characters go on their way and they go on living um, their lives that I've written a little segment of. My guess is that she either buys something for Grayson or she puts it in a little account for Grayson and lets it, lets it gather some tiny bit of interest or something like that. It wouldn't surprise me if she bought something for Grayson with those $5 is. Yeah. Cause it would have added up. And that's what I thought. I thought, well, she must've, she must've done something with it, you know? So yeah. Okay. Thanks. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, if nobody else is going to jump in, I have a question. Okay. Um, and I haven't read, I haven't read this, the, you know, your latest book here, but I was wondering, you talk about the beauty I know of Grand Marais and so on and so forth. Do you talk about um, how treacherous Superior can be and of the, some of the children that have actually been swept away by the, uh, you know, I think, it, I think uh, uh, Rick and uh, Mary had lost a child um, yes, um... years ago. I think I refer to it in, well, I actually wrote it. One of my first, one of my first published pieces was an essay that was, uh, that talked about Rick and Mary losing their child off the pier. I was mm -hmm. there that day that that happened. Um, so I refer to things, I refer to the power of the lake. And I think part of the beauty is also the fact that it's bigger than us and it is dangerous at times. I don't know, I don't deal a lot specifically with um, people that lost their lives in Lake Superior, but it's something that I'm aware of and I hope that 
Um, I hope that it comes through. In fact, in Tin Camp Road, a character, um, if you haven't read it, right, I, I won't say too much about it, but there's a character who's lost a love, two loved ones to a riptide in, in Lake Superior. So I, I guess I always try to balance the beauty with the, the awesome power of oh. a natural force mm -hmm. like that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You made sure. me think, thank you for asking. You made me think, um, so I, I wanted to be a writer, right? From the time I was a kid. And I knew that I was one at heart, but at the same time, I didn't think, I didn't think necessarily that I would ever be good enough to publish or that I would ever really make it. Um, and I think a lot of writers have that dual, you, you're sure you're a writer at the same time, you're not sure you're a writer. I don't know if any of you feel that way. Um, but when I came to the UP, I came bearing that big dream still with me. And it wasn't very long. I moved here when I was 25 and it wasn't very long before I started trying to write stories and articles and essays. Um, I came to the spring meeting of UPPAA in Marquette one year. It was so exciting to me. It made me feel like I was really meeting other writers and it was fun. Um, the restaurant meant that I never, I never did travel or go very far very often, but um, in the winter of 93, I think, and I had moved there in 91, I saw Sierra Magazine had a writing contest and I entered it and I wrote that essay where it, part of it talked about Rick and Mary, um, a couple in town whose son was swept off the pier during a storm. And I just had, it was so fulfilling to write that essay and um, to write about the wind and the winter and the awesome power of the lake and the tragic things that could happen um, and what it was like to an experience to experience a Lake Superior winter. And I, I worked on the essay for about a month um, and I'll, 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 never, I'll never forget how exciting and how satisfying that felt. In fact, it was some of the most satisfying writing maybe that I've really ever done that first essay. Um, at any rate, I submitted it and I was chosen as one of the winners of that year's nature writing contest by Sierra Magazine, which was so exciting. Um, it was such, it was such a thrill. I knew then that I could, that I could die happy. And I would still say, even if nothing else had come along, if I hadn't managed to write other things that would get published in novels, it was so exciting and wonderful to publish that first piece. Um, it was a big part of my journey as a writer. And at the same time, it made me think, well, this isn't gonna be that hard. Look at that. I spent about a month on this essay and I got chosen and it was really exciting. And I bet the doors will really start opening now. Um, and they didn't, <laughs> that was wrong. <laughs> so um, writing has been a really long road for me. And um, I certainly, I see it as being super challenging I, I don't know. I don't know if any of you have any questions about that whole world of, of having a big publisher or an agent or any of that, but um, it's been an interesting adventure. That's for sure. I feel very fortunate at the same time as uh, almost none of it was like what I would have expected. And that's life, right? Yes. Curious about how you did break into the big publishing arena. <laughs> um, I knocked at the door for, I don't know, 15 years, maybe. Um, I, after some years of working at essays and having some published here and there, um, I just had this, I had this yearning to write a book and I really wanted to write like a young adult. And so I, I did. I wrote a manuscript and I worked away at it. I worked at it for about probably four or five years and I submitted it um, to agents and to editors and I, I got good feedback, but I never got an agent or an editor. I did that a whole bunch of times. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a long story shorter and I'm gonna say that I wrote probably, I don't know, five manuscripts. Several of them were for young adults. A couple of them were for adults. And I, um, I just kept submitting 
and getting feedback and revising. And I got super frustrated, not gonna pretend I didn't. Finally with um, South of Superior, I got enough good feedback that I became determined to keep rewriting the book until it worked. Oh, that's my dog. Um, my sister and brother just arrived for a visit and my sister has two dogs. So I imagine that my dog is barking at her two dogs out in the yard. Um, at any rate, I knocked at the door for a long time and I had good feedback, but never a yes. And with um, South of Superior, I just thought this has to be it. Honestly, I thought if I can't get this one published, I'm going to stop writing. And at one point I decided that's it. I had, I don't even remember, submitted to yet another agent. And then they had had all kinds of promising things to say. And then in the end, they didn't sign me on. And I thought, that's it. I, I quit. I just, I haven't, I could be making, I could be, ma I could be knitting sweaters or I could be going out with my friends for a beer, but no, I've spent the last six years on this book that nobody wants to read. So, um, I actually decided I, I'm stopping. I'm going to change my whole life. I'm not going to do this anymore. But after about a month, I thought I had an idea of something I wanted to do. So you see, I was an, I was unable to stop. It was some kind of an addict. Um, so I went back to work on it. It's is a really long rambling answer to say that I, I wrote forever and I submitted forever until finally I was lucky enough to hit an agent who happened to like what I, what I had. She liked South of Superior well enough to have me spend another year revising it. So at that point I was working on seven years on the book and there was no guarantee that she would take me on. Um, but fortunately, in the end, she did. After a year and after a whole nother, I, I would say it was probably my 12th major revision. Um, she called me back and she said, well, I still don't love it, but I do love the beginning. What did she say? She said something like, I don't love the, I love the beginning. I don't love the middle and I don't love the end, but I think we can get there. So, um, so we did. I rewrote it some more and after it was all done, it seemed inevitable that the story was shaped the way it was. But I'll tell you what, for those seven years of revision, nothing was inevitable. Um, it's odd to me now how that happens. How you make the story happen can be a big mystery even to yourself. Ellen, when you revise based on feedback from an agent or an editor, do you still feel like the end result is you and your writing, or do you feel like you lost something that you wanted there in the, in the book? That's a, a really good question. Um, I would say for the most part, and overarchingly, I feel that I, it's still definitely mine. Um, sometimes I've had to lose some pieces that I didn't wanna lose, but I've never, I've never had to put in something that I didn't want there, if that makes any sense. Um, my, my third book, The Education of Ivy Blake, is actually out of print, unfortunately. In some ways, it's kind of my favorite. Um, and the main character, Ivy Blake, is a it's, a it's a middle grade novel, so it's for younger folks, but a lot of my adult readers really liked it. Ivy has had a hard road, like a really hard road. And I've known kids who've had really hard, hard lives. Not, Ivy doesn't have a good, a good home situation. And my editor just seemed to want to pull all these punches. And we, we didn't get along very well over it, frankly. Um, but I really believed in, in Ivy and I, I, I pulled a couple of the punches, but there were some things I wouldn't budge on. And fortunately she, let me get away with it. It's not like I'm some big powerful author, but when something really matters to me, um, I fight for it. And overall, most of the editing that I've received, I felt really good about for one thing, but also mostly it's quite general. Like on South of Superior, my editor, Sarah, um, 
she didn't care for the character of Paul for a long time. And I kept trying to rewrite Paul and she didn't tell me what to do. She just told me he just doesn't ring true to me. So that she let me figure out how to fix that on my own. So I think that's why so much of the editing feels okay to me because it's organic to me. The editor might say, this isn't working, but they don't say, um, you know, make him like this or make him say that. So. In this book, Laurel had, had to make a lot of decisions and based on which choice she made, that's the direction the book went in. Were there any of those where you tried to have it be a different choice and it just didn't work and you had to go back and change it? Yeah, I th that's a good question. I tried so many different things. This book was oddly it just, it was a tough construction project. Um, and I know I couldn't tell you now what all the different things I tried were, but I did try. One thing I tried, I think, was um, for Laurel to accept a job back in Galleon near the end of, of the book rather than not accept it. Um, I, I tried having uh, Baldy, who is, she stays at Baldy's house at his trailer. I tried having Baldy be alive for like years. Baldy was alive for a lot of the book. I really liked Baldy. I really didn't want to kill him off before the book got going, but it just, it just didn't work. So yes, I tried any number of things. Um, trying to find, trying to, trying to find the sculpture that seemed like it had to be in that rock. If that makes sense. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. Yes. Ellen, when I was reading the book, I kept having this feeling when you mentioned Baldy, I kept having this feeling that something bad was going to happen at that trailer. Um, was that intentional? I mean, um, nothing bad ever happened. I thought it's going to burn down or, or those boys are going to come and rape her or something. And, and I just kept thinking that the shoe is going to drop, the shoe is going to drop, and it never did. I think... That's, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that I definitely wanted the book to be um, suspenseful in some way. And I think I definitely wanted to be real about the fact that Laurel was taking some real risks out there. Um, life is not all jolly and safe. And I was worried that the other shoe would drop. Um, I was quite worried about a variety of things that might have happened. And another part of the, so yes, it was intentional to make, hopefully have the reader be on the edge of their seat to some extent um, and worried and worried for them because Laurel felt that worry herself. She's trying to be so brave for Sky, and she's trying to have everything work out. You know, she's like a duck that's all serene on the top while underneath she's just paddling like crazy. She's actually terrified She's terrified a lot of the time. And I didn't find, I did not find Laurel easy to know as a writer. You might think, you know, that I'm going to say that I'm all in charge of all these characters, but like Sky was so easy to know. But Laurel played her cards pretty close to her vest. And um, it took a long time for me to realize, I mean, she's very proud and she's very independent. She doesn't want to be beholden to people. She doesn't want to be a whiner at all. She's always wanting to take a positive outlook. Um, she's wanting to figure things out for herself. A lot of admiral things, but it took me a long time to realize that along with all that, she's just scared. She's scared she's not raising Sky right. She's scared she's not gonna be able to take good care of her. She's scared something bad will happen, you know, at that trailer. So I wanted the reader to feel that. And the other thing is that I did try a lot of different things um, with the book. And some of those probably that some of them were some of them were a lot darker than anything that ever ended up in the finished book. And um, probably there's like vestiges of that feeling, even though the scenes didn't remain. I, yeah, I would say <clears throat> to me, like another compliment. I mean, you you really 
you know, like, and, and I like that if author kind of messes with my mind, because, you know, when she went down to see her friend, Jen there, um, you know, to get her that time, mm-hmm. I, I was right with her. I wasn't even really considering what was going on with the daughter that this young girl is in this cabin in the woods in the winter. And like, when, when she came back and, you know, like she couldn't find her, I was like, Oh, what happened? And then, and then I was like, Oh my God, she did that. You know, it reminded me of a movie. If you haven't seen it, I think you all would like it called captain fantastic. I don't know. It's just this brilliant movie about, and it was up for an Oscar. And it was the same idea where this guy decided he was going to raise his kids, you know, totally off the grid that they would be, you know, these really strong kids and they were, but then they came back, you know, he had to go back to his in-laws for a, like a funeral and, and the kids were outside and they were, they were like hanging on the electrical wires to get this animal. And it was like, Oh my God, you know, but, but they were, so you were great doing that. I mean, I don't know if that was like remains of another story or what, but I liked that I was fooled there, that I didn't really get what she, I mean, that was a good scene. Well, thank you. No, I meant that because <clears throat> I still, I mean, if I were Laurel, I, I was right with her too. I mean, what what is she going to do? Her best friend is calling for help mm-hmm. and her daughter is very capable um, and they've been safe there all winter. She knows all these things. She knows exactly how to handle the fire and a number of things. And I'm not trying to romanticize it, but a lot of UP kids seem super capable at a young age to me. And a lot of, um, a lot of more worldly or modernized kids seem less capable. I mean, they're like more grown up, but they're less capable. I don't know if I'm saying that clearly. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if a kid knows how to build a fire um, or use a jackknife or whatever. And Sky did know all that. So I was right with Laurel too. And I wasn't, I, I'm not too sure that I was planning what happened, but you come to a point in a book where something big has got to happen. So subconsciously, I probably was planning it. Um, and it, I would have, I would have stumbled in, I could have stumbled into that same situation myself if I was Laurel. I think I could have done the same thing she did. And I would have thought it's going to be okay. It's basically going to be fine. And I would have been just as shocked as her when I got home and it wasn't fine. Um, And the way that you would beat yourself up for that, I can feel it sitting here right now. You know, the horror, like, what did I just do? What did I just do? But as you're doing it, it doesn't seem so bad. Um, I, I have so much, I have so much empathy for Laurel. And I notice it out in the world. A lot of people do not. They're just infuriated by her. And I don't know if that's because we're a little bit different up here. Um, she's not leading a modern life, but she's certainly leading a worthy one. And I understand a lot of her choices. So um, I, I could wander into the same situation as she did. Well, you know, she would have gotten the call from Sky if she hadn't dropped her phone in the trunk. Right. And, that, and then the crisis could have been averted, perhaps. Um, and that's a honest mistake, you know, any, anybody, anybody could make it and, and Skye's, you know, forever, however resilient she is, she's still a child. I mean, you know, right. and children can't know and anticipate and react to everything that an adult would. But, right. but, but I have a question about um, Laurel's relationship with Jen. Um, obviously, you know, different personalities, but but you know, close friends and Jen always seems to make um, the wrong choices when it comes to men. And Laurel seems to be there to bail her out. Um, at the end, is that how, I don't know if I was satisfied with the way you crafted the resolution between the two, um, which basically was just a letter Mm-hmm. that Laurel wrote to Jen. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you wanted to work with those two characters 
or their relationship? Um, their friendship just seemed really real to me. Like a lot of a lot of friends are quite different from each other, and they had really Jen and Laurel had been friends since you know a young age, but they were very different. And I think a lot of relationships, like I think Laurel took a lot of I don't want to call it abuse, but she took a lot of criticism from Jen for years for being herself that I wished she didn't take that from Jen. Um, I wished that she had stood up for herself a bit sooner with Jen. Jen was kind of mean, mm. but at the same time, Jen is smart and she's loyal and she was fun. And she actually loved Laurel for a long time. And she, in her own way, was a good friend to her. So friendships are complicated, people are complicated. And I think the relationship between them probably reminded me or looked like relationships I've seen between young women that I've known. Um, Jen had a heck of an upbringing. She had bad things happen to her, it messed with her. It has a lot to do with her bad choices in men. Um, so all that is, strong and worthy about Jen was also skewed a bit by being abused by her stepdad. Mm -hmm. um, so Jen isn't, I needed like a bad guy in the book and Jen like stepped up to take the place that she's a very bold young woman. Um, she's not shy. She makes a lot of bad choices. And in a way it's just like her to step up and say, yeah, whatever, I'll be the bad guy. But she's not really she's not wrong about a lot of things that she says to her friend, Laurel. Um, my sense of how to end it, I tried, that was one of the things I tried was having them meet in person. And it mm -hmm. just, I tried several different ways and it just didn't seem to work to me. And I thought it isn't resolved yet, that's the thing. Um, and I think that's why I ended up doing it in a letter. I didn't, I couldn't just drop it entirely and Jen was far too angry still at Laurel to forgive her for what she saw as Laurel's betrayal in the book. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if in some years they don't become friends again. That is actually, I think that they'll have interactions with each other down the road. I just think in this small book, it was too soon. So my letter was a way of saying what Laurel felt and showing that she had stood up for herself a bit more than she had in the past. And also admitting that things don't always resolve, certainly not in the time frame we want them to. And I think you did leave the door open there. Um, so that was, that was a good, good way to resolve it. And there might've been other ways to do it. Would, would you, were you feeling like they needed to be in person in the book? Um, I was when I read it, but now <laughs> that you've explained why that couldn't happen, um, it makes sense. So I think, I think you chose the best path. <laughs> I don't know, you never know, that's the thing. It's nice of you to say so. <laughs> but really, I think, oh geez, you just never know. I think Good you point. sequel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go, I like that idea. <laughs> uh, I was reading it, I pictured both them girls, uh, Jen and Laurel, to be uh, Native American. Oh, okay. They grew up on a Native American school and asked maybe why they had more empathy for each other than, you know, than, than normally would be because um, I think Laurel put up with a whole lot more than maybe she should have. She did put up with a lot, but you know, we all do that. I've done that. I think mm -hmm. part of that, I've, I've had a friendship that probably felt a bit like the Jen and Laurel where I think I felt like the Laurel character, like actually you shouldn't have been saying those things to me all these years. You know, I am who I am. I should have stood up for my way of being a little sooner. Um, so I probably was working out some of my own questions about that in their relationship too. Oh, over, over there. One more quick question for, for Ellen. Do you ever, I, I don't have, you know, a publisher like you do or an editor. I have to kind of hire my own. Mm -hmm. But um, do you ever reach the point where you feel like I've done this and I've worked on this and I've redone this and I've experimented with all of it and I 
this is all I can do. Oh, <laughs> I've yeah. reached the end. <laughs> yes, I sure do. <laughs> At 100, 157% yes. Mm -hmm. um, over, I recently over. had that happen. <laughs> yeah. And then what did you do? Well, right now it's it's on the shelf. <laughs> and valid. it's yeah, it's it's with a couple beta readers because and I've been through beta read this one has been through so many drafts I've lost count. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yeah. it's probably partly because it's semi-autobiographical. And uh there's a lot of people that, you know, probably need to know that there's a character that's similar to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in gotcha. this book. Yeah, it, it's still fiction, but anyway, that's, it's, it's kind of on hold again. <laughs> well, this book, Tin Camp Road, um, for years, my editor didn't, she just didn't like it. I don't know how else to put it. And we went around and around and around and I revised and revised and revised. And at one point she actually said, I think you should set it aside and try to write something else. Um, so that's how well that was going. And I, I guess I just, I knew that whatever, I, I didn't know, I accepted that from her perspective, it wasn't working, but I was absolutely convinced that Laurel and Skye were real characters who really deserved a book and I couldn't give up on it. And my editor, actually Riverhead, my publisher and I almost went our separate ways over it at one point. I'm really grateful that we didn't. Um, but I don't know, it took me about seven years to write it. And, and any number of times I was just like, yeah, I'm all done, I've, that's it, that's over, I can't do anymore. And then you leave it aside for a little while and the, you often find out that actually you just, you did need that break and you might get a new perspective and some new ideas and a new energy. Uh, I think that's been the case. And, and I actually did set it aside long enough to write another whole book <laughs> that, that, that's with the publisher at this point. So awesome. hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll fly. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you. So. Yeah. So, so Ellen, how did your editor feel when uh, you told her that you um, won the Michigan Notable Book Award? She was congratulated. She, she, so I, she and I took a break from this book and Penguin was very, I over, I overshot my deadlines by crazy amounts of time and they, they could have yanked me back and, you know, said, forget it. They could have canceled the contract and they never did. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, I gave her a break of some years too. And she just let me play out my line, you know, she just let me flounder. I mean, not in a bad way, but she just let me go. She didn't say, no, you, I'm going to cancel the contract. So she didn't realize how that I, for several, two or three years, I kept working on it, but she didn't have to read it. Right. I think she had to read it when it was too rough and too new. I wouldn't do that again. I'd be more careful to give something that was closer to done or working better. At any rate, after a break of some years, she was like, wow, I really like this. I, I feel completely different about it than I did two years ago. So um, she was very pleased with the book in the end, as was I. And she was very pleased about the Michigan Notable, as was I. The big honor makes me very happy. Be notable. Huh? Yes, that too. I, of course. <laughs> big deal to me, both of them. Yeah. What are you working on now? You know, I haven't been writing at all. Hmm. Um, it's been a, it's been a time, hey? So between <laughs> coronavirus and concerns about our business, which is a restaurant, and my husband getting very ill, which was cancer, and then selling the restaurant, moving, um, I don't know. I haven't made writing a priority for a while now. And I feel like hopefully now I can get back into a routine in life. He's doing better and we're getting our, our we're getting reorganized in a new way of life. I really want to go back to starting something, but I couldn't tell you that I'm working on anything right now, which feels very strange to me. I had been working on a memoir. Um, so maybe I'll go back to that. Okay. 
yeah, that'd be nice to read. Or you could always write a wonderful story about a little Zoom book club here. (laughs) (laughs) Different readers and authors that come together once a month and different chapters for each of us. That would be fun. Yes, (laughs) it would be fun. You guys are great. (laughs) Yeah. But anyone else have any last minute questions or, or things they would like to ask Ellen? I was gonna say, Ellen, would you, you know, we joked about it, but would you ever consider continuing the story of Laurel and Sky? You know, you mentioned that, you know, it was undone. We don't know how it turns out with Jen. It seems like we really left Laurel and Sky in the ending with a lot of questions about what the future might be. I don't, I don't know. I would never say never, but um, I don't think I'm a very, I don't feel that I'm a very um, sequel-y kind of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like to end books with that open-endedness because I feel like that's how life is. You just never know what will happen next. Anything could happen. So I like to leave that kind of leaned forward feeling and let the reader make their own decisions. Um, but I would never say never. I don't know. So I mentioned my third book, The Education of Ivy Blake and how Ivy had a tough, tough time, but she's a hero of mine. She's such a survivor and just I just love her. She actually, Ivy, to my surprise, showed up in Tin Camp Road. Now her scene didn't, it had to hit the cutting room floor. Uh, it was one of those things I tried that I just couldn't keep in the book. But I was so happy to see her. She was working as a, a barista at a coffee shop and she was going to college and studying film. And it, I, I didn't, it just sounds weird, but I, it was like running into someone by surprise. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, that's Ivy. And so who knows? Would I have liked to have that written in the book? I sure would have, I just love Ivy. I'm so happy she's in college and doing well, right? <laughs> so you know, I haven't read that, your book, The Education of Ivy Blake, but is there any, any part of her in your Sky character? Um, Sky is much more like, so my second book was called Prairie Evers, and Prairie is this kid who's just, what a character. She's had a wonderful, she's a, a loving, secure family, and She's quite a character. Sky is more of a prairie. She hasn't had the heartbreak in some ways. She's kind of a mix actually, because she's seen a lot more hard situations than Prairie has seen. She's herself. She's just herself. That's cool. Tyler had a question. I just wanted to say, I think there's an honesty in your writing, uh, Ellen, that really comes through, uh, whether you're writing about you know, a place or a character. And I think that is, is, that is so important when we write. It, it, the writing has to be honest. Thank you, I appreciate you know, Even that. when it's fiction. I think, I think it, yeah, thank you. I really, that's a big compliment. I appreciate that. Well, and I have, I have one more question. Um, have you written Roger Pylon into anything yet? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Roger's the librarian at, at Grand Marais and yeah. he's, he yeah. is a character. He is. He's a good character. Well, I've had a really good time talking with you. Is there another question? We've got Tyler. One question. I was wondering if you ever try writing in first person because everything I've read of yours is on third. And if maybe just to get your characters talking, you try that and you've decided not to use first person. That's a really good question. It's an interesting question. I very rarely write in first person, um, but sometimes at the beginning, like you say, they might talk to me and I might be listening to them say, I this and I that. I wrote South of Superior, my first book. Um, for years, it was in first person. And it was actually um, my agent who suggested to me before she took me on in that year of revising, she said, you know, one thing I think that would really help this book is if you wrote it in third person instead of first, it would give you more latitude. You could work more with these other interesting characters if we could get out of the first person. So um, I did that and I liked it. And I guess I liked it better so far, although you never know. 
Um, I'm trying to think of, now this is going to sound dumb. I wrote the book. I'm trying to think of Prairie Evers is in the first person. It certainly was for years. I think Prairie Evers is in first person. Now I'm going to have to go look. Wow. So that's how long it's been since I wrote it. <laughs> Neat. Yeah. Well, one thing that you mentioned at the beginning of the talk was that, you know, you would saw these books and it amazed you that all these books are written by somebody. And it's, it's really cool how, you know, you agree a somebody that wrote a book to come and talk to us. Cause it's like, I don't know about the rest of you listening, but you're not like I pictured. I don't know. <laughs> it's, always, it's always neat. You know, it's always better, but you know, you kind of have an idea of what the author is going to be like, and you see their picture on the back of it. The, and they're never like that. They're like real right. people. It's right. like, they're real people yes and you're real a people. wonderful evening talking to you and i i sure appreciate it and anyone else any final comments or things before we let ellen go i would just like to let you know that i absolutely loved south of superior which of course then made me when tin camp road came out I said, oh i have to read that and the whole time that when I read South of Superior, I hadn't lived up here very long and I wanted to go to Grand Marais and come to your little diner and meet you and tell you I loved your book because when I'm reading it, it's like, it is, I, you capture the UP and you capture the people in the woods and the air and the, just everything. So fantastically. I didn't read your other two books, but now I have to because seven years, I don't think I can wait. <laughs> or another book and I wanted to and it was like well they're for young adult and I thought oh I'm gonna read them the heck with that I'm I still a you young like adult <laughs> a, a lot of my adult readers have really liked them um yeah and the truth is I they were just they were just books that I wrote especially Prairie Prairie I wrote Prairie Evers I wrote originally before I ever wrote South of Superior which was my first book out um, so Prairie came out after South of Superior, but really I had written her long before. And I wasn't thinking I'm writing a kid's book as I wrote it. I was just following Prairie's voice and a number of, and it is a kid's book, but yet it isn't um, either. And a number of readers have told me about that one and about Ivy Blake. Some readers, particularly readers who've had hard experiences similar to Ivy's, adults will come to me and they'll say, that's not a kid's book. And I'll say, well, it is though too. And some people came to me, people actually came to me and I don't know who they were in the restaurant would come up to me. It happened a couple of times and they took my arms and they said, how did you know? How did you know what it was like? And I don't know how I knew. I had a wonderful childhood. Um, so writing Ivy's story or writing, and really Prairie Evers is very much about Ivy too. Um, not quite sure where I'm going with this. They're kids books and yet I think there's a lot in them for adults at the same time. And Well, those pieces of us are still, are still with us. I mean, you know. I, I think if a writer tries really hard to be honest, as someone else pointed out, and if you really just try to follow the character's story. It can be interesting to you at any age because it's such an authentic, it's such an authentic voice that you hope to come up with in the end. So the one line and then I'll be quiet. When I read South of Superior, the part that grabbed me in the beginning, and I loved the whole book. But when you're when she was driving up, the girl that came from Illinois. Went through Green Bay and up, you know, and and got to that point where the world fell away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's got that like down pat. Because <laughs> it's uh, we would drive up, and I'd go, what happened? To all the you know, it's just like the whole world just yeah fell off the back of the car. <laughs> it was great. I miss those days. I feel like those days are ending um, more and more. That this the UP is changing, and I feel. And that's okay, everything changes and it's a wonderful place still. But I feel very fortunate to have been here as long as I have and to have known it in an earlier time a bit too. Yes. And I agree because I came in 07 
left in 16 and I'm just back again. Welcome it's back. A little, it's a little different. I know what you mean. A little yep. more, a little, when the mover moved us up, I said, are you moving a lot of people? And he said, to the UP, he said, at a, he was from Scandia at an alarming rate. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I'd like to get a house someday. And there's only so many up here. I said, I know. Yeah. Kid. Yeah. So yeah, but you. But then I moved here, so I came from away, and I I'm did happy too. I was able to come. So. Me too. So thank you all for letting me in. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're wonderful. Love your books. Love them. Thank you so much. Thank Love you all. Time. I've really enjoyed talking with you tonight. You too. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And um, yes. So. Don't be a stranger. All right. Join Sounds us and listen to other authors and start writing us another book. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you all. You've been watching the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. To join or for more information, please visit us at www.upa.org or www.upnotable.com.